Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and Nerdette is a show where we talk to your favorite or soon-to-be favorite people about how their passions drive what they do. And today's guest is Dessa. You don't know who Dessa is? Well, buckle up. We don't say go out and be brave. Now we say be careful, stay safe. In any given instance, that don't hurt sinks in like stilettos and soft earth like the big win is not a day without an incident i beg to differ with it i think a woman's worth i think that she deserves a better line of work than motherfucking vigilance don't give me vigilance but definition you can't make a difference if the big ambition is simply standing sentry to your innocence that's not a way to live that can't be what a woman is that gives her nothing to aspire to what that is but that is It's just a life of running fire drills Oh my god, that song, like I'm about to cry, also I feel like I have goosebumps on goosebumps, like that song is just so good, and that is Dessa, she owns her words so beautifully, I am so excited for this conversation. That was a song called Fire Drills, it's off Dessa's fourth studio album called Chime. We're going to talk to her about that album, which means of course we'll listen to some more music as well. We're also going to talk with Dessa about how she, eternal sunshine of the spotless minded, her own brain to remove memories of a really painful relationship. And we're going to talk to Dessa about the meaning of success for her. Because she's not just a musician and a rapper and a poet, as if that weren't enough. In 2018, not only did Dessa put out this album, Chime, she also published a memoir that is legitimately great. She also co-created her very own whiskey, and she collaborated with the Minnesota Orchestra. So obviously, my first question for her was, how are you doing all the things? Like, for me, 2018 is... uh... It was a year I'm proud of, but I don't think I could do two of them in a row. And (laughs) I don't, like, I just, it was right towards the end, a lot of, like, crazy exhaustion, that kind of bleary crying stuff where nothing's wrong, I don't think, or maybe everything's wrong. Hard to tell, you know? Um, Doing the book and the record and and the, the orchestra show. So, yeah, in some ways I also feel like I can kind of beg off because when people can see the desperate in my eyes, they're like, oh, this is a woman who can't, okay. like, let's, yeah, she can't, Never mind. yeah, do you need a squeeze ball? <laughs> like, <laughs> she can't do it. It's clear. So, yeah. Okay, so let's listen to a song. They say there's good grief, how can you tell it from the Maybe it's It feels to me like it, you're talking about the fact that we have to go through terrible things in order to be exactly who we are. I got snow in my pockets, went down again head first. Lace drill bits to my point shoes, pirouette through the hardwood to pay dirt. Night falls, day breaks, time has a funny kind of violence and I'm trying to keep in mind it can't leave you the way you find you. Good grief. I've heard people say it, what a phrase, what a state to be in, but I don't know where they go to get 
There's also, um, at least in our culture, like a compulsion to to sanctify grief in a way that uh, that I think is a little too clean and neat to be true. Mm-hmm. You know what, that idea that um, I wouldn't change it if I could. Maybe the person who I that mm. it, so while some of that's true, I think sometimes it's us kind of retroactively over our shoulders cleaning up that narrative. You know, it's like well. Okay, if you hadn't had the car accident, you hadn't had the month off work, then you wouldn't have, whatever, met Mindy. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Love so do, Mindy. Love Mindy. So my question <laughs> is, do you want another car accident and to break your leg again? Right. No one says yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, yeah. it was really, if it was really a balanced deal where this grief was constantly improving us, then we would opt for like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to go get my second divorce. <laughs> I mean, nobody does that on the day off, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that while grief is necessary for growth, I think it's not because grief is always curative or always tempering a, mm-hmm. a character, mm-hmm. although sometimes I think it is, but because there's no way to live fully without risking grief. But every once in a while you find yourself in grief that forges you and makes you stronger, more empathetic. And every once in a while you find yourself in a grief that's just a wasteland of pain. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Like to risk fully and be truly alive you're just going to have to go through a couple of both of them. Yeah. There's no other way through. Right. Better to have loved and lost. Yeah. And I say that just barely. The scales are almost even. Like loving, yeah. or losing yeah. love for me. And I, I think I am maybe a little – when I trade notes with the people who I trust to tell me frankly about their experiences, I will admit that I maybe am a little sensitive to that. Hmm. I think generally I am probably sensitive. And I don't mean delicate. I don't feel delicate. I think I'm – in a lot of ways, badass. I can survive a lot of pain. You're for sure badass. Yeah. From over here. <laughs> uh, I can survive a lot of pain, but I, I feel pain, it seems, more more readily than some mm-hmm. of my friends do. Mm-hmm. So that gets me to thinking about the like crazy brain rewiring neuroscience stuff that you did. Mm-hmm. For people who aren't yeah. familiar with it, can you tell us a little bit about... Like, essentially, you yeah. had been in this on-again, off-again relationship for, what, like over a decade, right? Yeah. And it was just, like, kind of destroying you. Mm -hmm. And it finally got to this point where you realized that you needed to figure out how to rewire your brain to get him out of it. So, yeah. So so it was with a a relationship with someone who was in my rap career. Right. So you're, like, seeing him all the time. All the time. And to keep the shows successful, which is – I don't mean just, like, to keep the show on the road. I mean, like, that's my life and my love and my passion. Right, right. It necessitated seeing him all the time. But also there's this – I'm just hiding and living a lot of lies at the mm-hmm. same time because it's not appropriate to uh, cry at a rap show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not not often anyway. And so there was a lot of, like, tamping down the feelings to to hustle every night. And also, you don't want to ruin the vibe in the van. Like, and it's, sure. it's irresponsible to ruin the vibe in the van. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be on tour with someone who's crying all the time. It's, <laughs> it's going to suck. It ruins my tour, you know? So anyway. Yeah. Um, Struggled with it for a long time, and I wasn't I wasn't exactly sure what else to try. I had done the normal stuff, like I did end up moving away from him uh-huh. in our, this, the town in which we grew up, at least part time. Uh, yeah, you date other dudes, and you stay active, and you go to the gym, you hang out <laughs> with your friends, you do all the normal <laughs> things. Um, and I was still feeling feeling shook. Yeah, yeah. 
had another great relationship. And as soon as that ended, it was like back. And so I ended up seeing this TED Talk by a researcher named Dr. Helen Fisher. Yeah. And this wasn't me like trying to get over my love. This was me just like watching TED at uh-huh. night, you know, like, over right. a glass of wine. Got Nerd. Yep. This is just that. <laughs> this is off hours just nerding. Yeah. TED Talks. As, as one does. You do. <laughs> <laughs> I will take your least expensive <laughs> bottle of Chardonnay. Thank you. And uh-huh. um, so I'm watching this TED Talk <laughs> and she had done some studies that indicated that there might be particular regions of the brain that are active in romantic love. Uh-huh. And those are different than like maternal love and platonic love. And right. that blew my mind. Yeah. Last but not least, we found activity in the brain region associated with deep attachment to another individual. When you've been rejected in love, not only are you engulfed with feelings of romantic love, but you're feeling deep attachment to this individual. Moreover, this brain circuit for reward is working, and you're feeling intense energy, intense focus, intense motivation, and the willingness to risk it all to win life's greatest prize. So if you were to lie in an fMRI machine and look at a photo of someone you love, and try to conjure the feelings associated with that relationship, mm-hmm. that your brain would behave in a recognizable pattern. Mm-hmm. Particular regions would light up with activity. Yep. Yep. So, of course, I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. Because <laughs> if I find where my love is, I can destroy it. <laughs> so, so I short story long, I meet with a researcher who's game. She's like, hey, if you can come in like nights yeah. or weekends when the machines aren't right, right. busy. Like they're, yeah, they're around. I can help you. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so the Center for Magnetic Resonance Research at the University of Minnesota was like, come on through. Met with this woman named Cheryl. Did the thing. Saw my brain. If you imagine like an x-ray, how an x-ray looks, mm-hmm. you sometimes see these images on TV. But like the, the profile of my own head, right? And I can see it with no hair, you know, so you, yeah. you're already kind of skeletal looking to uh-huh. yourself. You can see all the little folds of your brain. And then I saw these bright colors where my brain was in love, you know. So now I thought, okay, I've got this like m- measurable, objective measure of my brain and love. Now I want to figure out how to get it out. And so I ended up working with a clinician named uh, Penny Jean Gracefire, who does a technique called neurofeedback. Mm-hmm. So essentially you're, you're covering your scalp with electrodes that are sensitive enough to measure your brain waves. And we worked together for a course of nine sessions so that she'd hook me up. I'd be able to see my brain operating in real time on like a flat screen TV. That's amazing. Crazy. Like even that is so Blew awesome. my mind. So we did these nine sessions and then, you know, just like in the magazines, like the before and after photo for a makeover or a diet or whatever, uh-huh. I went back into the fMRI lab. F stands for uh, functional there. So okay. you're, yeah, so you get to see the, you know, the behavior, the workings of your brain. Went back into the fMRI lab, again, lied on my back in this huge magnet looking at pictures of my ex, <laughs> you know, and we... to. We, t- we alternated those photos between pictures of a dude who I think is attractive, who I happen to know, uh, but I'm not in love with. And in that way, you know, the researchers are trying to isolate just the love feeling. And right. the researchers don't know who is who in those right, photos. Right, but they so could that they guess. Couldn't, they did guess. Yeah, wild. it was cool. And we did see some change. Yeah, some notable change. Now, I want to like contextualize this whole thing with saying like this is not a definitive experiment. It worked for you. I'm a sample of one. And right. and maybe it worked for me because I'm convincing scientists to let me into their fMRI labs all the dang of time. Course. And that's yeah. forced talk therapy with scientists. You know? Well and you were in a place but, where you were really ready for that to happen too. Like that's you know true. Like, I was ready to try to explode the love instead right. of hoping. Right. Hoping, hoping. And I I had been looking for years for a way to try to it's so weird because it feels like in some way 
isn't that elective? What is elective? Why can't sure. I stop hoping? What a dumb thing not to put it. It's like a faucet running, right? <laughs> yeah. Through the 2000s. <laughs> like, why don't I have access to that water main? Yeah, yeah. They say that your heart is the size of your fist. I can tell you firsthand. I know how that glove fits. It takes your whole life just to teach it two tricks. It beats and it attacks. Oh, but what if I could cure me of you? The thing I can't stop thinking about when I, th- I like, I love this story. I think it's fascinating. I love that you, you seem generally curious and game which I think is really cool but I wonder like here you are you know you're an artist so much of people's art is Uh, built on strife you know like you think about a song like Good Grief you can't write that song unless you go through some terrible stuff right were you ever worried as you went through this process that destroying Uh the love that like eliminating that hope would actually like alter your art? Yeah. Yes, and I was excited by the prospect only because like if someone had if I'd seen that TED talk 8 years ago, no part of me would have been tempted to actually try to recreate that protocol because I did understand that to be grist for my favorite mill. You know, it I was I was writing songs I was proud of. But 10 years later, you've written a lot of torch songs, man. Like, you know, and I would like to write other songs as well. And I do write other songs as well. But um, that was well covered. And also, I mean, um, I don't perceive myself to be in any danger of running out of pain. Just the universe provides that. The universe will provide, yeah. right? Your yeah. parents will get older, yeah. right? Yeah. Your, your dog will die. You'll have oh. a fight with a friend. <laughs> And glorious things will happen, too. You will right. meet a new person who, yeah. who de- and develop a kinship with them that you didn't think was possible and see a great new movie. Like, there's more pain on the way. And there's more glory, too. Um, so I wasn't worried that if I wasn't so desperately in love that, uh, that all of a sudden kinda, I'd, be, I'd be whistling in major keys all the time <laughs> and wouldn't have a thing to write. Coming up after the break, we talk with Dessa about what might be my favorite 45 second song ever. You're listening to Nerdette. Girls on the black turn calling out the same games that I played. It goes turn around, touch the ground, wake up to find work and look for love, but when that rope comes around, you don't. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. 
Okay, I want to listen to one more song. I think this is my favorite track from the album. I'm a high-strung, universal donor. That's type A, type O. To wake up, calm down, or shape up. Chai tea, chai tea, type O. No easy money. I'm trying to get rich slow. Standing on the acorn I planted. I trust that oak trees grow. ENFP Myers-Briggs. Six to win my highest kicks. Hero to the neighbor's kid. Dolled up, I'm the baddest person. Still like backpacks over purses. Hate the cues or twos and cursive. Talk real fast when I get nervous. Rap real fast, but that's on purpose. I've single-handed some duets. I've been as bad as good girls get. But I don't regret too much just yet I mostly gave more than I got Tried not to watch the ticking clock Like, always a bridesmaid Never an astronaut <laughs> okay. When I first heard that, I was just like Oh my god, this is the most amazing thing I have ever heard. Like, it was just so It's just perfect Thanks, Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for writing it Oh man, thank you <laughs> In your book mm. You, you've talked and like even just now mentioning that you're type A, like you, you've mm. talked about how you're a little neurotic. Yes. You also have this amazing imagination. I like mm. I loved the different like thought experiments you have in my own devices because I don't know. I just find your brain really fascinating. Yeah, that's like the kindest compliment. <laughs> but like I wonder like what's what's your relationship like with your brain? Um, I admit that this year there I don't know if pe- I thought people would get chiller as they grew older, and I'm becoming a little more neurotic than I used to be. You said you're type A. Do you yeah. would you use that word to describe yourself neurotic or no? Neurotic? Uh, Not really. Yeah, yeah. A little. Yeah. I mean, if I'm honest, yeah. <laughs> Are you more or less neurotic than you were at 16? Oh, I'm way more neurotic now, but I smoke way less pot, so I think that's right. better. See, that's for the best. <laughs> I, I think there's a limit. Like a little neuroticism is okay, but I can't tell if I'm kind of flirting with that yeah. ceiling. Yeah. Um, what's my relationship with my brain? I I'm grateful for all the things that made it that have nothing to do with me. Like it's so much inherited from mm-hmm. my parents, and mm-hmm. you know, I had a mom who. Uh, who didn't drink a bunch? That's no compliment to me. That's thanks, mom. Right. You know, yeah, like totally. And I got a couple. You know, I got. I think I got some good verbal genes from both of them. Even as a little kid, I was really verbal. And I don't think that's a product of any like special ambition in a three year old. That's just her brain developing. And, and I got a pretty good one in that compartment. Right, I got right. a lousy one in spatial intelligence. That I'm not good at <laughs> at all. Directions yeah. you mentioned. I mentioned I was lost three times on the way to the studio. <laughs> I was lost for a really long time outside. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> and Sorry that's why that. I'm not a topographer, you know. But um, but I I think some of it I, I feel lucky. And then I do talk to it every once in a while, like when I'm up against a deadline and I know, especially a big one for an orchestra show, for example, I always write a new monologue, like a little play that that unfolds. And this last one, even three days beforehand, I didn't have the monologue and I, and I was just in my car and I said, okay, brain, it's time. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, please, (laughs) I'm asking you as nicely as I know how. And then when, you know, and 12 hours later, the idea came that – and I remember just like in my car, like I, I punched the, um, the like felt lining above uh-huh. my head and I went, that's it. Thank you, brain. You know, <laughs> God, I don't know why you make me wait till 48 hours before the show to write and memorize stuff, but <laughs> bailed me out again and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Do you think of yourself as a perfectionist? Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's no, I would like to not, I think, again, like I have a lot of room to grow and develop there because, um, you know, if you get too, con- right, concerned with the granular stuff, maybe you miss an opportunity to try something really bold and brave and big. Uh, and I definitely have gotten too involved in granular stuff. Even dumb, dumb shit like text messages. Oh. You know, like 
I want them to be punctuated and spelled right. Mm -hmm. That's not helpful or useful. There's no return on the investment of that time. If you're writing a homie, if you're writing a friend, they have already formed an impression of you, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, just just say I'll be there. You know what I mean? Yes, K would work. But instead, it's like, there's an opportunity for a reference here to like... but there's kind of a compulsion towards that that yeah. I know isn't, yeah. Well, I mean, that's tricky, me. right? Because, like, you want you want to make your art as great as it possibly can be. But, like, if you're up against the deadline, like, yeah. you have to call it at some point. You right, know? right. I, I have heard, um, this is not my line, I overheard it from, like, uh, an author who was sitting on a panel with other authors, but up against a, a publisher's deadline, you know. And one of them said, well, it's late once and it sucks forever. And I remember thinking, that is a phrase that's going to stick with me for sure. You know, so (laughs) not always, but often you can find a way to make a deadline push a little bit if it really is in the service of excellence. Mm -hmm. Not always, not Mm -hmm. for show, but for written work. For sure. You've got wheels beneath the knee. Just my type of bill. I still fall so I'm just So at this point in your life, in your career, what does success look like for you? I mean, is it I, I think I probably have come to ascribe to that idea that um, that success very often is that bar that keeps inching further away right as as you as you make some modest ascent yeah um and maybe maybe that's not proof of like an impossible to to satisfy human nature maybe it's just like like lunch like lunch is never over (laughs) do you know what i mean like well you had lunch yesterday like well i need lunch again today like laundry like laundry it just it's always there that's what yeah like (laughs) by virtue of being alive the appetite regenerates so what's your lunch these days then okay that's fair i think that right now i sound god i sound a little salty but i I think this is true that like i have gotten like critically a, a lot of um a lot of pushback from from like industry folks on the fact that uh that the songs sound so different from one oh, another. Oh, interesting. So you can't fit in one box and that's annoying to people? Exactly. And so you literally have to check one box when you put out a record, when you upload it to the world. And it says what genre it is. So for, in my case, there were four choices. We could pick rap. We could pick alternative. Mm-hmm. We could pick pop and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, If only there were just a lady box. Yeah, if only it's just, just ladies. <laughs> um, but like the box that you click ends up really, you know what I mean, really like For affecting sure. the whole life. And I I think I was so like, I found that very frustrating. I was just like, I think genre does have its purpose, but um, I think it's a great way to figure out where to shelve a record. Genre is great for planograms, but maybe like less so for art sake, for making music, you know? And so I think for success in the next work that I'm doing, I think I, I have like, I have conceded ground to that idea. Like, I should try to make these songs work. I'm going to figure out. And I'm just done. <laughs> I tried. I'm over it. Like, I make weird stuff. Some of it's going to be pop. And if you don't like pop, then press fast forward, man. <laughs> like, you've got a button for that, you know. And some of it's going to be rap music. And some of it's going to be weird. And some of it's going to be, like, experimental symphonic stuff. And if that's too confusing, then fucking go find someone else to listen to. You know, like, I'm just, I'm done conceding. Um 
So I hope that I can make good on that to myself and do some stuff that's weird and that's rad. I'd like to try to find a way to expand, I guess, like the, the people who – readership if I can. I don't know exactly how to do that, but I know that's one of the big things I'd like to to strive for in 2019 is, is I'm, I have to earn my way in the literary world, and I'm ready for that fight. And I know it's uphill, um, but I really want it. Dessa, thanks for coming on Nerdette. This was really fun. Thanks for the conversation. You guys, I just think Dessa is the best human. If you have not read her book, I actually recommend that you listen to it because she narrates it and it is always the best to hear an author read you their own book. It's called My Own Devices, True Stories from the Road on Music, Science, and Senseless Love. Also, obviously, check out Chime, her newest album, It Is Perfect. We lean to turn The show is produced by myself, Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our co-creator is Trisha Bobita, and our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Nerdette is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. And it's super amazingly helpful if you leave us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Many thanks to Yaki Ram 63 for the review. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerdat Podcast. We have a newsletter. It's pretty cool. You can find it at wbeasy.org slash nerdsletter. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework! Just kick ass like Dessa, man. What would Dessa do? WWDD. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.